0: Hey everyone, this is episode 4 of the Telos Running Podcast. I'm Kristen, here with the great Steve Sisson. Hello
1: everyone, how we doing?
0: Today we're going to be talking about data-driven versus effort-based training. And then we're going to take a stab at some mental training techniques that I'm really excited to be talking about.
1: Yeah, this will be our first um, practical, practically applying mental training techniques in this podcast. We've talked a little bit about all our core values and stuff, but we haven't really gotten into, like, something somebody can take away and plug into their training. So take notes. Please do.
0: Also, we missed last week because, well, Steve shat the bed,
1: huh? <laughs> I pretty much did shit the bed. I, If shitting the bed, by shitting the bed, we mean that I basically pontificated for 50 long minutes on this basic topic that we're going to cover in 15 minutes. So, yeah, it was so bad that we decided to hit the uh, delete button and um come back at it a week later because we also had scheduling issues with the crazy lives that we live on top of everything so um yeah this is take two but you won't ever get to hear take one (laughs) (laughs) hopefully
0: (laughs) okay so let's jump in um so we had the idea for this podcast because we were on a run with um a friend slash athlete of ours and he brought up a question to the both of us, asking what we thought about um, sort of all of the different devices that a runner can use to track their running and their lifestyle. And he, I think the basic question was, did we feel that all of these apps and devices were to the benefit or the detriment of the runner? What do you think, Steve?
1: Yeah, I mean, he, that's how he phrased it. And I think he was kind of talking about, um, those not really necessarily the the Garmin or the Geek-O-Meter as I like to call it, but more along the lines of all those different categories that the Fitbit has, or maybe things step that, tracking, step tracking, how many, um, you know, when to get moving, um, when to drink a o- take a drink of water, um, and it was like his basic question was: This seems to be he was sort of leading in this in the statement of saying, aren't these apps cool because they help us um, they help us make our life better, but he also knew by asking us that question, well, me especially Kristen, that I probably was gonna be um a bit of a luddite and kind of be like. Fuck that shit! You don't need it. (laughs) Just, just point north. Just point north with your get, get your system pointed north, and everything will work out. You know, ask the universe; it'll tell you what you need.
0: Yeah, Mister. I still use a Timex, but really, he has a Garmin now. Everyone.
1: (laughs) Actually, if I could use a sundial, I would probably use a sundial. (laughs) Um, But I think it's a really intriguing question, Kristen, because. I think that there's a lot of use that we can get and a lot of benefit we can get out of technology and to reduce um, or not to use tools that we have at our disposal is silly because we don't think that they benefit people. Well, we should test them. We should see if they do um, in order to determine whether they work or not. So, you know, we didn't get into any real specifics there, but we basically generally just talked about that idea of you know, technology helping, technology hurting, and it's a much more nuanced question. And I think that you need to dial deep into the specifics of any given app or technology or, or, or basic uh, toggle on your watch to determine how it's gonna impact your life, your training, um, and kind of your emotional state of being. So it's a much more nuanced than it's all good or all bad, as most things in life, right?
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of that for me comes down to screen time and the effects it has on your lifestyle and also your brain before sleep. There have been a lot of studies about blue screen and all that backlighting for technology um, right before bedtime. And I think this question really falls into two different categories with sort of the the everyday person who's looking to count their steps and then also the endurance athlete or athlete in general, which is what we're going to be talking about. So Steve.
1: Yeah. So uh, what we decided that a great first topic from a training perspective, cause you know, Kristen, we've set this up where we're talking about to train for what the race requires, um, working on the body and the mind and the heart. And so, in terms of working the body this week, we decided to come at you with this idea of data-driven training versus effort-based training. Um, and in my long diatribe, um, initially, in, in take one, I, uh, I dialed really deeply into the specifics of your data training systems. So uh, I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to just… Are you going to keep it short? I'm going to try to the best of my ability, but we're going to, I'm just going to basically hit the high points um, because almost everybody is utilizing, that's listening to this podcast, is probably already utilizing some kind of data driven technique to determine how to get fitter. If you're listening to us, then you're wanting to get fitter and you probably have a race on the horizon or you're interested in racing generally and you're trying to determine how to best train for it and so most of you are using one of these three basic systems and i'm not going to say that these three systems are the only three systems out there but they're certainly the three most utilized so what are these systems number one the first one is um using pace based systems so that's like dialing in your 5k pace your 10k pace your half marathon pace and saying that i'm going to basically drive my training paces i'm going to derive the kind of efforts that i put out in a workout i'm going to derive all of that based on what my what paces i want to run right the secondary system is that people use or another alternative system is energy based training and that's utilizing terms like your aerobic power your vo2 max this is where we get into threshold and tempo running and things of that nature that are designed to basically highlight and hit specific energy systems that science has told us are benefiting us as runners and each of those systems kind of checks off a box that is important for an athlete to be able to hit in order to be most effectively prepared for their race. So there's using just pace derivatives immediately, just saying, I'm going to go at my 5k pace for this workout. Or someone could say, instead of them going at my 5k pace, I'm going to do aerobic power for this workout or my VO2 max pace for this power. And many times these programs have calculators associated with them. So folks can go to a Macmillan calculator or a Tinman calculator or a myriad of other calculators that you can find out on doing a Google search that will indicate the system, the data system that you can utilize to dial in how you're going to train. So
0: for that, would you use
1: a current race time or would you use your goal time? So I think you use both. Um, I think it's, it's good to know where you want to be and um it's good to know where you are so having those two data points is really critical and crucial to effectively training people when i utilize these systems i use a mix of these two Um, I i used almost exclusively pace based training systems for a long time but as i became much more knowledgeable about what the energy systems were doing and i was really much more interested in why the pace by the pace mattered. Um, I started using more energy-based systems. I kind of have now moved all the way through all of those to the point where I'm kind of like somewhere in between or some kind of mix of these things is important. But you bring up that great point of date pace versus goal pace. Early on, people should be utilizing date paces or 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 utilizing date um, or the times that they're currently able to run from an energy system perspective, rather than the times that they want to run, and that's especially true for those folks who might have a a goal to run, you know, five minutes or ten minutes faster for a half marathon, or let's say four to five minutes faster for a for a 10k. You're not re- if you're not ready for that, then it's really dangerous to train yourself at a pace that's too fast. Now it doesn't mean that you won't progress down there, depending on how long your training cycle is for. But if you try to run where your goal is, and you're not adequately prepared for it, injury is, is, is a, there's a chance for injury. That's probably a podcast episode all on its own, though, huh? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. So the other system that people use, they use pace-derived systems for for how to train people use energy-based systems for how to train and the third one that many people have heard about but is not really quite as popular anymore is heart-based training and heart rate based training um is basically utilizing your heart rate monitor on your watch or using uh yeah using basically a heart rate monitor in order to design and determine the zone that you should be training in. So for an example, with all three of these, someone might be needing to do 10 times 800 meters, right? In 10 times 800 meters, with let's say a two to three minute recovery, Ten times eight meter, 800 meters basically comes out to five miles worth of work, not counting the recoveries that you might be doing in that five miles worth of work means that you should be running somewhere between probably your five K or your 10 K pace if you're doing a pace based system or between your aerobic power, your VO two max or maybe even into what some people might call critical velocity in a energy-based system. For someone utilizing a heart rate monitor-based system or a heart rate system, they'll probably sitting somewhere, if they're using a percentage, they're probably sitting somewhere in about 80 to 85% of their maximum heart rate. Um, But heart rate's a little bit slippery because so many people um, are at different places in their heart rate in terms of where so many different people have different, some people are tachycardic or brachycardic, which basically means that their heart rate beat means moves faster or slower. So utilizing, knowing where you sit from your heart rate is important to getting all that correct, which is one of the reasons why I don't use heart rate training very often, because um, no one trains for race day saying, very rarely do people train for race day saying, I'm hoping to run a half marathon in my heart rate zone of 180 beats 170 beats to 180 beats per minute from start to finish. That's not usually what somebody indicates they want to do. Usually people want to run it in a certain time. So, more effective generally is utilizing those pace-based or energy system-based systems. So, we say all this as preamble basically Kristen to talk about how we can utilize in the importance of learning effort-based training within these data-driven systems.
0: Yeah. I think I mentioned to you sometime last week that if I could rewind and go back to when I first started running, I never would have purchased my watch. Yeah, Um, Sort of that idea of learning my craft before practicing my craft. Um, Because now if you told me go out and run at 10 K pace, I have no idea what that feels like. I mean, I, I can hit it and hold it for a good bit by looking at my watch, but just finding the pace, I don't know that I'd be able to do it.
1: Yeah, if I tore your watch off you and said, "Give me your ten k pace right now,"
0: I would borrow somebody else's watch.
1: You'd you'd sidle up next to somebody <laughs> and say, "Hey, help me out here. You seem to be in the same pace that I am." Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's um, I think that that's a it's a flaw that many people have, and I use the strong term flaw because um, really your effort is an entire half, if not more than a half of what you're utilizing out in a race no matter what. Because you can use your pace, but what you're doing anyway is you're calibrating in your own brain what your effort is going on at those paces. So You're already using an effort-based system no matter what. No matter even if you're completely glued to looking at your watch nearly every quarter mile, you're still calibrating your, that data that you're using against how you're feeling or what your effort is. And you'll say, oh, this is feels pretty easy for the pace that I'm running. Well, that's an effort-based training system. Or you'll say, I am feeling like this is way harder. Like I'm running, supposed to be running half marathon pace, but it feels like 10K pace. Well, guess what that is? That's utilizing effort to figure out what your, to balance out that data that your watch is giving you.
0: And can all of that effort based training be dependent on your sleep and weather and your stress levels, things like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, even the data driven numbers that you have are uh, your data driven systems that you're utilizing when you don't use effort based training or don't consider your efforts, it can draw the basically the watch can drive the athlete. And that's really the thing that we are trying to talk about the most here is get on top of your own training and use your own internal systems independent of what the watch is telling you use the watch, but use the watch as a way to help calibrate your effort-based system.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think, I mean, speaking for myself only, I have the tendency to be really rigid in the way that I view things. And so sometimes when we're doing a workout and I know what my paces are, I look at my watch and if I didn't hit those paces, I failed. And that's the end of the story. Never mind that. I mean, for example, we had a workout last week, and it was like twenty-four mile an hour wind, um, really cold. But really, the wind was the factor here. And you
1: said, "Yeah, there was huge bursts of wind up to thirty miles per hour that were stopping people."
0: Right, and so you said to run by effort when we when we rounded the corner on the track and and came into that wind, and I think. Allowing room for some grace in your training is sort of what effort-based training is about, right? I mean, you want to hit the numbers, you want to be rigid in some things, but you also want to give yourself room to be human,
1: really. Uh, yeah, and I mean, you're not a computer. You have feelings, and are feelings things? Well, that's another topic for an entire podcast as well, um, which— maybe, maybe you should write a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> but— I do know that we experience them so and knowing what our body is telling us and this goes into this thing that you've heard people who have listened to me over the years or have been coached by me over the years have heard me talk about listening to your body what I'm trying to do right now is discuss with you how to listen to your body the practical application of taking that data and running it through your own internal computer that the, the feelings of who you are and what you're all about. So let's basically go through what's really crucial about this is number one thing that you need to do with an effort based training system is getting a feel or a baseline, because this whole thing is really, really personal, Kristen, what I if I told you As someone who's trying to run 245 for a marathon um to run at your 10k bait 10k effort and i had another athlete who you train with who's shooting for the same goal and ask them to tell to run based on their 10k effort if the two of you were not aligned and running stride for stride with each other you would probably come up with different times, even though your goals are set. So why is that happening? It's because you both have different baselines and where your current fitness is. You both are dealing with um, the stresses that you have in your life. One person might be running 80, 90 miles a week. The other person might be running 40 to 50 miles a week. Um, did you get enough sleep that that night? Did you, Is your work creating a lot of stress on your body? So here we have me asking someone to do something, and they're both supposed to be in the same place or shooting for the same goal. But they're having completely different experiences because they have different experiences in their life. So it's incredibly personal. So no matter what I talk about here, realize you're going to have to filter it through your life, and through your training life, and through your life life. Um, And the other thing that's really important to understand here, and that makes it really slippery and challenging is, it's variable and flexible. um, Because we wake up on different sides of the bed as the state, as the statement goes, and we have different experiences of our training on day to days and or we're dealing with a 30 mile per hour wind that comes blaring up and so utilizing just that data system or just that energy system or that pace is going to limit us greatly in terms of getting an effective session in and so You know, these are two things we have to do. We have to kind of set an individual personal baseline, and then we need to have some variability and some flexibility to be able to work with that and to get it to where it needs to be.
0: So sort of, I'm going to throw this mental training question at you because I, I think it'd be really helpful for me if you answered it. So I'm hoping it will be helpful to other people, but this is easy to say and easy to comprehend via this podcast. But what would you say to an athlete if you had two athletes in this situation where they're both aiming for the same thing and one athlete is feeling like, I don't know, he or she didn't get any sleep or maybe they're coming down with something or they're really stressed out or all of the above and you're at the beginning of a workout. I mean, do they say something to you? How do they say it without it being an excuse? How do they talk to their coach about it or how do they fight their own demons of of where they are mentally lining up next to their teammate and maybe not performing the same way.
1: Well, I mean, this is a really, really important question. And this is an area that I think makes it really challenging for self-coached athletes, especially because they're doing this wrestling with their inner demons right there with no one to ask. So to answer your question bluntly, if you have a coach, tell them. And if your coach doesn't respond, then there's a problem. Get a new coach. But the thing is, is not everybody has a coach that's there with them at that moment. So someone might be a coached athlete, but they're being coached by an athlete on, their their coach is an online coach, or their coach is not there on that given day. So the athlete has to eventually get to know themselves well enough to be able to make those decisions themselves. But a coach can be very helpful in determining what is being a wimp and what is being um, smart um and so I think a lot of the topic the what the the real practical application pieces I'm going to give folks here in just a second um, really help with that but it takes and requires you being honest with yourself and being sure that you know that you're cognizant and clear on the things that might be impacting your feeling terrible about this workout, determining if it's because it's based on the stress in your life, or the load that you've been carrying from a training perspective, or the myriad of other things that could possibly be in play for why you are really worried about this workout. I have athletes that will tell me, there's athletes I don't have to worry about this with at all, because they're going to give me their best effort no matter what. And there's athletes who come up to me nearly every workout and ask for some kind of adjustment. Um, I used to roll my eyes at those athletes that would come to me for an adjustment. And now I'm realizing all they're doing is looking for a way to calibrate their internal effort based system. And they're going to be better and better capable if I give them an honest answer. Uh, I'm just a human. And sometimes I bark at them and tell them get tough and get on the track and do the work and hit the paces. But other times I'm like, it's really windy and we need to adjust or what's going on in your life. And I do think that these are important things. But What's most important is being honest with yourself and understanding where you're coming from and why you're coming from there because that's going to be crucial to um, calibrating this idea of effort in the first place.
0: Okay, so it really doesn't serve your best interest or your training's best interest to just sort of swallow it and not deal with it and walk away with
1: nothing or less than what you had hoped. Listen, we, effort is a data point just like these other data points we've been talking about. And what I'm trying to argue is, as a data point, it's incredibly valuable. So how do you determine what this data, how do you make it into a system that works for you? Um, you basically need to create a terminology. And there's different pers- there's different kinds of scales of effort that people can use. Some folks will like to use a one in a hundred, right? So it's a 85% of maximum effort. Um, it's a, an 8.5 out of 10. The problem with these effort scales that are based on percentage, Kristen, is that you've gotta make sure that what you're using that percentage of is that whatever 100 is, is a known quantity. So if I'm saying, I want you to give me 85% effort of 100% all out, well, that's another thing altogether than 85% of what you're hoping your marathon goal pace will be right? Those are two different things. So make sure when you're using a system, or you're creating a percentage based system that that percentage scale is always apples to apples and not apples to oranges, because it'll just confuse you and you'll start utilizing it ineffectively. for people who are brand new at utilizing um, an effort based scale or creating an effort based scale. I think it's really, really helpful to kind of use more generic terminology and things like steady, which, in my definition, is comfortably hard, or hard, or very hard, or moderate, or easy. Um, coaches frequently will utilize these scales, and good coaches will utilize these these terms, and then kind of pull them into either one of these energy system-based system, data-driven systems, or or the pace-based system. They'll say. I want it to be comfortably hard, which should approximate your half marathon pace. Or this should be a moderate, which might be um, your marathon pace. If I asked you to run your marathon pace in three times a mile, most people will have no problem with that. If I ask you to run your marathon pace for three times five miles, well, moderate now has a different nuance to it so what's important is being sure that you start to calibrate and create effective terminology for yourself that works and if your coach is use, utilizing a terminology to be sure that you're that you're getting consistent with that finally there's a third kind of terminology that people can use um, and honestly i think it's really not even a third i think it sort of plays into all of these and that's you know what is your race requiring and so what is your if you're running a fi- getting ready for a 5k race and i'm asking you to do 5k pace then you should be able to tell me what your 5k effort is and so now you've also could use in here utilizing effort based on what you think at that given moment would be that 5k pace the challenge with that is it's not it's always referring to another thing the nice thing is, it's referring to something that's pretty standard. Whereas the first two systems, I'm asking about the percentage-based system and the terminology-based system, they really kind of are. They kind of force you to make sure that you're really, really, really dialed in on the terminology and where you're what you're basing it on. So, yeah, Kristen, this is kind of slippery, right? It's a little bit technical. It's a little it sounds a little bit confusing. Well, that's why it's really, really critical and important for people to start. Implementing it as soon as possible and start getting really really practical about the way that they use that
0: Makes sense.
1: So how do we do it? Great, thanks for asking me the question (laughs) (laughs) Number one I'm gonna go back to the thing that Kristen said in the first place which is it's a shit ton easier to do this if you just take your watch and throw it in a lake It's a lot easier to do this if you um, never actually had a garment in the first place but But, for the rest of the world but for every other human being that walks the face of the planet um, what's important is that effort is always going to be a part of this system and any system that you ever use it's just reality so that's the first thing to say is hey everything is based on effort no matter what because you're always going to be playing with that. I talked about that at the very beginning. And I just repeat that because I think it's important to sort of set the stage for that. The next thing is create your scale and keep it calibrated. So I talked about the various scales that you have. Pick one and go with it. Go with percentages or go with those terms like steady, hard, easy, moderate, or go by paces, but pick one. Pick one and stick with it. And Preferably pick one that works for you based on your coach and what your coach's system is using. If you're self-coached, pick one that's based on the model that you're utilizing that that makes sense. Almost every coach or every system will have an ability to utilize some kind of ground of initial conversation for effort-basing. Now, here's the most important part, Kristen. Keep your scale calibrated. So you need to get yourself your efforts to align with what those data, what your, what those numbers mean. So you're going to use your data system. You know what your 5k pace is. How do you calibrate the first and the easiest way to do that is on low key workouts and those workouts that you have very specific pacing on. Don't look at your watch while you're doing the work. If it's a low key workout and something that's not really, really all that important, I would even argue to you, maybe not even look at your watch from the start of the workout all the way to the end of the workout. But that might be next level business, right? That might be something you wanna do down the line. But what you wanna do is do an individual session or do an individual repetition and know that you and ask yourself, what pace am I running and then look at it at the end of that interval. So if we our example of 10 times 800, and I say, let's do it at 10 K pace, or let's do it at VO two max pace. You know what that number is. And then you say, okay, I think I'm gonna be running at 10 K pace today. Run that first interval. And after you get done, look at it. Don't look at it during it. Look at it at the end of it. This is really important. It's, it's an advanced level athlete that has the ability to look at their watch and calibrate it in the moment. Now, it'll seem like it's the easiest way to do it, but what you're doing is you're utilizing your watch as a crutch. You're still crutching on your watch, and you're really not calibrating your system. So pick a workout where you where you say, I'm gonna, first workout I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do 10 times 800, and I'm gonna look at my watch only when I finish the session.
0: So lapping, lapping your watch.
1: Lapping it after a mile or and, and then, and not utilize, so if doing 800, don't look at it at the 400, look at it at the finish of the 800 and say, I think I was running 10 K pace. My 10 K pace is seven minutes and 30 seconds. Look at your watch and it says 750. Wow. Your effort based, or it says 650. Well, guess what? Your effort system is not very highly calibrated and we need to get better at calibrating it. So. Then you do the next session and you say, oh, I was a little fast on that. Do the next repetition, dial it in. You get it to 7.45 or 7.40. Oh, you're getting closer. And then, and try to do it with a lower key workout or one that you feel like you're comfortable with those paces and do that interval and finish that interval on those paces. And then that will help you look at it afterwards and say, wow, I'm terrible at this or I'm actually pretty good at this. And now you've got a start to calibrating that system
0: yeah and it also would probably be a lot easier to try this out on the track than than on the road with different you know
1: it it does it is inclines or whatever it is but you still or most of the people that are listening to this podcast now are already dealing with a variety of different you know terrains anyway right. so you know but i do think that it does help to get started with this on the track for sure but it what's really good is to do it all the time and to do it consistently. The second thing you want to be doing so that that the next step in terms of calibrating um, is to start asking yourself in the context of your runs themselves. And this is especially good on like long runs is to be out on the run and be like, I think I'm running I think I'm running 8:30 per mile pace. Ask yourself that question and say, okay, I'm running 830 per mile pace am i or am i not running 8:30 per mile pace check it right okay it says i'm running nine minute per mile pace so what does that mean for me for effort where does that place me based on effort and if it places you in a place with your effort that is um really high then you're calibrating your system right and then the final thing with calibrating your system is the is to test yourself finally is to calibrate yourself while you're in the context of doing workouts. And the reason is, I ask you to do that at the end rather than at the beginning. And to make this the final step in that process. is because we want to learn to trust your calibration system and setting it up that way that I initially talked about of doing a full interval and then checking it allows you to start to trust yourself and not relying on that watch to give you the information. Um, And once you get to where you trust your efforts, then you're a lot more reliable narrator to your own experience, and your effort-based system is really getting much more finely calibrated, and you can trust it more. Because that's the big challenge with effort-based systems, is how much do you trust it? Um, I have some athletes who, an athlete specifically, Tomek, who we worked with this year, who basically did his entire marathon training cycle this year on an effort-based system. He checked his results, consistently during his workouts, he checked it at the end afterwards, but he constantly and consistently started every interval of every single workout that he did, asking himself to go on efforts first. And he even raced his marathon sick, utilizing the effort-based system. And I personally think he was successful in his marathon and got within one second of his goal time or two seconds of his goal time, or maybe 20 seconds of his goal time, depending on who you ask. (laughs) Based on, he was able to even calibrate being sick and getting it right, which I think is a testament to how getting efforts-based system dialed in can really be beneficial. So there we go. That's a way for you guys to start to utilize effort and start bringing effort into your training plans. If you can get your effort systems dialed in, then you can start trusting your body. If you can start trusting your body, you can start asking it to do things that are more advanced in effort-based systeming, and maybe you can even aspire to be a master like Tomek is. I, I, I could not currently train for what I'm training for right now, which is trying to get a Boston qualifier. I wouldn't be able to do it only on efforts. I don't have enough knowledge about my own body. It's been so long since I ran consistently that I'm not there yet. Kristen, you've used your watch so frequently that it's hard for you to trust yourself and run an entire race based on your efforts. But it would all behoove us to get better and better and better at those things, so that when we're at the Chicago Marathon and we go through a tunnel and our watches stop working, or when your watch just runs out of juice, you don't say, oh, my workout's over, I gotta wait and plug my watch back in. And believe me, I've heard these things. And you want to be nimble, you want to be flexible, you want to be able to utilize whatever's going on in your environment, and at the end of the day, you're a human being, and you're using effort anyway. So get better at it. Get so, better at it. So use both. Don't, Absolutely. don't be a slave to the screen or whatever. Use both, and even our, my my furthest out there example of Tomac, he he was constantly checking it, and believe me, he's as data driven as anybody else. He just is utilizing and finely tuning his his efforts to f- match what those numbers are telling him, and he trusts it. And he did a hell of a job. He did do a hell of a job. All right, so that's our topic on training the body, Kristen. We have another topic of training the mind and we're excited about bringing this our first um it's kind of a book review it's kind bit. of a book review it's all but i think it's much more of a practical application of an idea we got from a book
0: okay well let's stop talking around it
1: <laughs> okay well why don't you lead us light why don't you lead us in
0: am i the fearless leader
1: you're the fearless leader today
0: all right so today um for mental training we're going to be talking about affirmations and affirmations came to us really from a book that we were reading called The Miracle Club by Mitch Horowitz. It's not my favorite title, so I don't want this to scare you off because it's not just woo-woo shit. Um, I promise that I am probably the biggest skeptic out there. Well, maybe not. I'm, I have some... Crum- You've got
1: magic in your world. I have you some got crunchy tendencies.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so... Mitch talks about so the premise of the book is that your mind has the ability to shape your reality and Before we get all the secrety on you. I promise this has really practical applications And it's something that I didn't know that I was doing or I didn't know Had a name, but that I had been doing all last season going into CIM And it turns out I was affirming
1: um so so we we'll, go ahead. No, so the idea of this entire book is that thoughts are causative, and that what you think can um, change your world. And I think almost everybody, Kristen, even though you said we're going to get all secrety and woo woo on you on people, everybody already does this, but they mostly do it in the negative, right? Right. right. I mean, if you if you how many people do you know out there? are constantly unaffirming right or they're affirming they're affirming and they're speaking a thing that is a negative and then they're continuing to create more and more negative space for themselves so i think a lot of times when we talk about it in the generative or in the positive there's a tendency to kind of think it's magic and woo woo and everything else but if you and i talk about somebody who's talking using this in the negative like i always the train always stops me on my way in or I can never do this, like we're, we're really conscious of those kinds of things when they happen. And so I want to also use that to say, listen, this is really what we're doing is we're asking you to just, and it's not self talk, really, it's, it's just getting clear on the words you use, and how those words impact reality, your reality, any reality,
0: I think, so when we started reading this, I thought about, um, Masaru Emoto's study. He was a Japanese scientist and he did this study called, um, I think messages from water. And it was basically growing ice crystals and, and writing a word an emotion. And I'm kind of freestyling here because I don't, I don't know. I don't have this in front of me. I'm just sort of calling this for memory, but he wrote a word and an emotion in front of each growing ice crystal, and the associated word, so if it was happiness, the crystal grew, it was more symmetrical, and if it was a negative word, then the crystal was deformed in shape. Crazy, Um, really? Right, and there have been lots of studies done like this, but that was the one that made me think okay well if this can happen with ice crystals what happens when we write down the things that we most want when we use all of our brain power and we put that toward our our one as Mitch calls it deeply felt wish
1: what happens then so what does happen I mean basically let's get practical here, right? So because if we spend too much time on the theoretics, we're probably going to lose folks, because it's kind of woo-woo, right? We're trying to give you all these reasons why it's not. But how do we, how do we, how do we put this into practice in our lives? How do you set the setting? So how do you make the setting first? And then what do you do? So somebody who says, I want to start affirming, but First of all, maybe we should change the name because it sounds so...
0: I want to start writing
1: things down. <laughs> that, I want to start impacting my, my reality.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so I guess the way that I started was by writing down my goal time. And I knew what I wanted. Um, before CIM last year, I wanted 258XX. Uh, and I would write it over and over So
1: two hours, 58 minutes, and then the XX was, the, the seconds didn't really matter. I
0: didn't care as long as it was 2.58, whatever, right? And that was the least I was willing to walk away f- with on the day. Um, if I ended up running a 2.30, awesome,
1: <laughs> which didn't happen. <laughs> um, cause you didn't, maybe cause you didn't affirm it. Maybe
0: because I didn't <laughs> affirm it. But it was really so, What affirmations are for me is just a way to focus your mental energy on a thing, you know? To bring
1: you back to that one thing. Right. Right, That one core thing that you know you want.
0: Right, I mean, I think I get a little intense with running, maybe a little bit.
1: (laughs) Maybe a little bit.
0: And, but I was really in a state then where it was my first thought when I woke up in the morning, I would get up, 4.20 in the morning, go to the living room. It was dark. I would meditate about what I wanted. I wouldn't meditate to clear my mind or be mindful, although I probably should spend a little bit of time on those things. But it was having this intense focus on this one goal, whatever that is, whether you say it out loud or write it down or meditate about it, it was just constantly bringing what my purpose was to the forefront of my mind.
1: So talk a little bit about how you use this. Is this just something that you think? Is it something you write down? Is it on a piece of paper and and with a pen? How do you type it in your computer? What is a way that people utilize affirmations?
0: I mean, so I suppose you could do it any way that you want, but the book really talks about the power of writing things down and how when you actually have to write things out instead of typing them in, you take much more care and consideration for each and every word. There's an intention behind it, as opposed to quickly typing out 60 words per minute on a screen that perhaps you forget a few minutes later. So, go ahead. No, go ahead. So, the book talks about about that, about the importance of actually writing down what it is you want. Um, and Mitch gives an example of a person, a very famous writer, and actually one of my favorite writers, Octavia Butler, who used affirmations in her daily life. And the way that she did it was, I'll read some of what she wrote. Um, yeah, this
1: is really, this is some cool stuff.
0: An excerpt from her one of her journals. And she said, I shall be a best-selling writer after Imago, each of my books will be on the bestseller list. My novels will go on to the above list, whether pu- publishers push them hard or not, whether I'm paid a high advance or not. This is my life. I write bestselling novels. My no- novels go on to the bestseller list on or shortly after publication. Um, they, they are on top and they stay on top for months. Each of my novels does this. So be it. See to it. I will find the way to do this so be it see to it my books will be read by millions of people so she goes on and on to describe in detail exactly what it is that she wants and so what i took away from this was not necessarily you're not you're not necessarily creating some sort of magic by writing it down like oh this is my wish so please give me give me this this one wish it's more about You know, as I went through the process of affirming, it was a way for me to to declutter my mind and work out a roadmap for how I was going to get what I wanted. So right now, what I want most in the world with my running and with really a lot of things is an OTQ, right? Mm -hmm. I need, my heart wants a sub 245. So I can wish for that all that I want. But in affirming, affirming teaches me how to get there. So I need my body to be healthy and whole, I need to make good food choices, I need to wake up and bring my best to training every single day, no matter how stressful I how stressed out I am, no matter how frustrated I am that I'm not where I want to be. And so Affirming allows me to bring my mind back to that one goal. What's my
1: purpose, and how do I get there? And I think that's what
0: Octavia Butler did a great job
1: in doing. In a lot of ways, affirmations are just a restatement of the goal that you have or the purpose that you have generally, right? And I think when you talked about how in the past, before you knew what affirming was, before you read this book, you were doing affirmations in a way, but not in a real specific um, or – even you weren't really doing the work. You were writing the words down, and you wrote that you wrote those numbers down over and over and over and over again. But you needed to do more than that. So I think of as the people who write affirmations and just write the times down. That's that's good because you're constantly and consistently reaffirming what you say you want, right? Right. But what are you what are you doing to get there? And there's so many other things that are going on in our heads that you can retrain the way you think by utilizing terminology that indicates what you want so finding new ways to reiterate the goal that you have and the way specifically that you can do that like she said she's like this is what i want i want to be on the bestseller list these are the number of times on want weeks i want to be on the bestseller list i mean that's really specific but she also said be it So, so I say it, so it gets done. I mean, she's also utilizing it in a way that says, I feel myself like I'm here. Like, it's almost like she's her own rah-rah champion, her own cheerleader saying, this is what I want. And by God, you know, I deserve it. I actually want to channel my inner uh Smally what's his name uh anyway i have no idea what you're talking really about. You, you this is uh Stuart Smalley from oh, okay um, okay from saturday night live anyway uh, i heard somali and i was like no wait, I, what? I was slipping my words but anyway yeah i think that that Otavia butler's Description there is really, really good. I mean, this is coming from a woman, an African-American female, who, in a, in a genre of fiction that was definitely not con, was not filled with African-American females in it. So she was... She was a badass. She was a warrior. She became a warrior. She de- stated what she wanted, and she went after it. It's like she set the goal and worked on getting her spear into the target. She kept working on getting her her bow pulled to get the arrow to go to the target that she wanted and how did she do it? She repeatedly affirmed the things that she wanted over and over and over in a written format in her notebook. And these things came true. I mean, that's kind of magic, but right? But she did the work. She did the work to make them She come retrained through. her brain. She retrained her brain and started telling herself these things so, because you know what? Octavia Butler had enough negative shit in her world. She had everybody out there telling her what she couldn't do. I'm sure she worked full-time jobs that were not the greatest jobs in the world to get to the place that she was. So she had to... She had to counteract and counterbalance the negative that's out there, the negative that either the universe was creating for her or her culture was creating for her or her own mental space was creating for her by constantly and consistently affirming. And this is the thing I want to get across to everybody. Affirming is not woo-woo shit. And if it is, it works. Okay. But it's not no woo woo shit because what it is, it is retraining the way your brain works. Cognitive behavioral therapy is teaching us every day that we are our thoughts and that as we create in our minds, we create in reality. And affirming is a way, a first step, and an incredibly practical way of saying, What's my goal? Kristen says I want to run 245. So she writes 245 X, she writes 244 XX. Repeatedly in her notebook, but now she's also turning another page and saying here are the steps that it takes to get 244 xx and let me affirm them in very positive ways And that's an incredibly important part of this isn't it right? It is because
0: it's essentially I mean even if you want to look at it this way if this is still too much for you You're you're writing a contract with yourself. This is what I want This is who I am. This is how I get there. I will do these things. I will make these things happen. And so you're, even then you're putting your, yourself in a mental space of. You're, you're lifting yourself up. It's a, you're putting yourself in a positive mental space. I mean, I think to your point of Octavia Butler, and this goes for all of us, there's enough negative shit in the world. So if we can just get a pen and paper and write out the things that we commit to and why we commit to them and how we commit to them and be really, really clear and defined on what that purpose is, I mean, whether you believe it
1: or not, it, it's it gotta help, right? Absolutely. I mean, in a lot of ways it's about being a warrior. Um, it's saying who you are, saying who you wanna be, and then being who you wanna be. Um, And this is, mental warfare because we're doing battle with our conditions the situation around us i mean everybody that wa- listen to npr if you're a liberal or listen to fox if you're a conservative and all they're going to tell you is the doom and gloom i'm going to tell you about how terrible everything is in this world and we don't need you don't need anybody else so you got that telling you that the space that you're in within your family within your work environment um If you're a female, you're dealing with this even more than males are dealing with. If you're a minority, you're dealing with this even more than than the average, than a a white person is dealing with it. But we've got cultures, right? Cultures and subcultures of negativity surrounding us. And then we have our own internal culture of negativity that many of us are already talking about. So it's a battle to stay positive. And if you're not working on that battle, if you're not creating the kind of person that you want to be, if you're not doing battle with those that aspect, then I promise you the negative is going to win. And doing affirmations is basically putting your foot down and saying, I'm a warrior, I'm going to battle. Let me tell you how I'm going to do that. If you talk to any football program or any, any high level sports, world, which is basically an, our, our modern equivalent of warfare, right outside of really death warfare, where we have this entire culture of sports sort of being the battlefield of today. What are they doing before they get started? They're talking and getting everybody pumped up riled up and excited. Well, you get to do that on a daily basis with affirmations, you get to set the tone for your own personal motivational speech that you're repeating consistently over and over and over again to prepare yourself for doing battle
0: doing battle with yourself because what's the point? Why are you here? Why are you running this arbitrary distance at an arbitrary time? What's the purpose?
1: What's the ultimate aim? I mean, here is a way, a practical way, for you to be dialing in specific statements that make you stand where you say you wanna be. So don't do these affirmations if you just if you don't really care for what you want. Um, and yeah, go ahead and think of it as a woo woo bullshit thing if you want to think of it as a woo woo bullshit thing. But I'm telling you right now, it's real shit. And if you guys will just start, um, I think you'll start to see the impact in your life. When I started doing affirmations about nine months, seven or eight months ago. My entire life changed in ways that I was not did not expect, and I think much of that happened from doing these affirmations. Um, it hasn't been easy, it hasn't been perfect, but it has been, I can trace things in my life that have happened in a very positive way from the process and the practice of affirmations. So hopefully you guys found that useful and beneficial. Kristen, do you have anything else you wanna share with them?
0: Yeah, I kind of skipped over My biggest point, I think that affirmations taught me, and then I'm going to, I'm going to end on that, which is that in writing out your affirmations, I realized you have to be all in because what is required is complete and total commitment. And I really think that you have to throw yourself in with totality. And that means being a dedicated warrior to what it is you really want. And I think that, I don't know, that's... What affirmations taught me that I had to take all of the other stuff, all of the clutter, all of the garbage, all of the, all of the "no, you can'ts" and I don't think I'm good enough, and find ways to be good enough, and find ways that I say I want this, but
1: do I really? Fuck yeah, I do. What's your purpose? So thanks, you guys. I want to quote. I want to end with a quote that has much more to do with warrior stuff because. Kristen has it written here in her notes and it's just too good a quote not to quote. It's from Alex Hanold um, or Hanold and it comes from the movie Free Solo. Um, he says, nobody achieves anything great by being happy and cozy. It's about being a warrior. It doesn't matter about the cause necessarily. This is a pa- this is your path and you will pursue it with excellence. You face your fear because your goal demands it. It's the goddamn warrior spirit. Um, and I think What a great way to end with um, a topic on being a warrior, on knowing your purpose and living your purpose, and the way you do that, affirm. Go be a warrior. Thanks, y'all. We appreciate listening to us.